Slides it out for Ekblad. Back to Hoffman. Blocked by Polak and Rice. Another spectacular stop. Broussard tees it up and a save is made by Bobrovsky. Nelson. Marcel with the open net and he scores. Hi, and welcome to the Locked On Islanders podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Gil Martin. I'm an Islanders columnist and historian, and I wrote the book Ice Wars, which covers the complete history of the Islanders' rivalry with the Rangers from 1972 to the modern era. All right, and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Locked On Islanders podcast. Lots to talk about here on this bye week for the Islanders. Uh, Their next game coming up on Saturday at the Barclays Center when they host the Vancouver Canucks. We're going to talk about a a big debate going on both uh, on a number of websites that cover the Islanders and on Islanders Twitter. Uh, You know, does Lou Lamarillo go all in? this year, or does he stand put? I don't think the Islanders will be sellers at the deadline, but how should Lou Lamorello approach the trade deadline? We will talk about that on today's show. We will also have this date in Islanders history and a big game for Ziggy Palfi against a division rival and, and longtime rival for that matter. And of course, we will discuss the Islanders situation with regard to having two different home ices, both, you know, this year, last year, and how, if at all, that affects the team. Again, if you want to send us an email, you have a comment, a question, something you'd like us to discuss, the email address is LockedOnIslanders at gmail.com, and if you leave your name and where you're from, we'll be happy to mention you on the air and talk about whatever it is that's on your mind. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Isles, and you can follow me, Gil Martin, on Twitter at Ice Wars N Y R V S N Y I. So uh, you can stay up to date on all news and all things New York Islanders. All right, so you, you're talking now that the trade deadline is less than a month away, and you know, we have to take a look at this and ask ourselves, where exactly is this Islanders team? It does not seem to me that as this team is presently constituted, that they are an elite team. They are a hardworking team. They are a good team. But they are not in the same league as the St. Louis Blues the Washington Capitals, uh, the, the elite teams, the, the the Boston Bruins right now, the teams that you would have to say are among the, you know, top four or five contenders for the Stanley Cup at this point. And what is, you know, how far the question then becomes, how far away are the Islanders from getting to that point. Does an acquisition at the trade deadline put this team in a position to contend for a Stanley Cup? Does it make them match up better 
with the Bostons and the Washingtons and even the Pittsburgh Penguins of the world. Because uh, those are the teams that are going to have to get past in the playoffs. Maybe not in the first round. Maybe, you know, maybe not until the Eastern Conference Finals if they get that far. But, you know, is this team good enough to match up with those elite teams? And you you look at the standings right now, and we've mentioned this a few times, but the playoffs are certainly not guaranteed for this Islanders team right now. They are presently third in the Eastern Conference, uh, in, in the Metropolitan Division, excuse me. But right now, one point ahead of the fourth place Columbus Blue Jackets, two points ahead of the fifth place Carolina Hurricanes, and three points ahead of the sixth place Philadelphia Flyers. The goal differential for the Islanders after 49 games is a plus 11. To compare, Washington is a plus 33. Pittsburgh a plus 32. Carolina is a plus 27. Now, Columbus and Philadelphia are both plus 8. They are just a hair behind the Islanders. But you look at this Islanders team at a plus 11, and you sort of have to wonder, you know, is this team one or two pieces away from being a contender, a real top-flight contender? Look, in the playoffs, anything can happen. You get your goalie hot, you get your power play going, things click, and we have seen so many times teams that, you know, are wild-card teams pull off major upsets. We have seen years, in fact, last year, where all four division winners lost in the first round of the playoffs. So, you know, the regular season doesn't mean everything in hockey. What matters is getting hot at the right time. But when you're getting closer to the trade deadline, the question that Lou Lamorello has to ask, and there are actually a few, number one, how close is this team to really being elite? And then number two, can I get that team a player or two that will put them in a much better position to make that long playoff run? This team is not one player or two players away the way the 1979-80 Islanders were. The 79-80 Islanders added Butch Goring as their second line center, added Ken Morrow from the Olympic team, uh, at the end of February, early March, and voila, a, a, a very, very good team became, you know, a dynasty or the start of a dynasty. I don't think we're there yet. But with the addition of a solid third line center, with the addition of another defenseman, this team puts themselves in a position where they could beat anybody in a playoff run. And, you know, there are salary cap implications, long-term implications as far as giving up draft picks or prospects. And, you know, these are all things that Lou Lamorello has to think about and has to make up his mind. What are you going to do? And being sellers at this point, unless the team goes into a slump 
in the next three weeks before the trade deadline, a big slump, uh, doesn't make sense. But being buyers, you know, yeah, it makes sense, but how much, how big of a move, these are the determinations that Lamorello has to make. Now, Islander fans should rest easy knowing that Lou Lamorello has done this before. He is a proven winner. He is a Hall of Fame general manager, and that alone, you know, should give Islander fans at least a little bit of confidence that they're in good hands at the trade deadline. All right, we're going to talk a little bit more about what the Islanders are right now, how far away they are from the playoffs, uh, from being an elite playoff contender. We will talk about the arena situation a little bit more, and we'll have this date in Islanders history. More to come on the Locked On Islanders podcast. All right, welcome back to the Locked On Islanders podcast. Look, I mean, you're not going to get a 40 or 50 goal scorer at the trade deadline. Those kind of players are not available, and the price would be prohibitive. And one thing that a lot of members of the media are mentioning is that the Islanders don't have a lot of ammunition beyond draft picks to make trades with. Uh, I mean, what trade value would Joshua Hosang bring back at this point? Not a lot. Not going to get a rent, maybe, maybe a rental player, maybe. And then you'd also have to give up, I think, a pick or two. Uh, You know, most of the Islanders' prospects are already playing with the big club. You're not going to get a lot for Kiefer Bellows as far as trade value is concerned. Uh, Sebastian Ajo, not going to get a lot for him. Uh, Realistically speaking, you're talking about draft picks or you're talking about possibly moving a couple of pieces uh, on players whose contracts are expiring. You look at this roster right now and who is going to be an unrestricted free agent after this season. Matt Martin, Derek Brassard, Tom Cunackle, Matthew Barzal, as everybody knows, will be a restricted free agent. The team Still needs to sign him. Ryan Pulak and Devon Tays also will be RFAs. And then Thomas Grice will be an unrestricted free agent. Can you trade Grice to the right team and maybe get uh, a goal scorer in return? That's a possibility. But right now, realistically speaking, this Islanders team needs to... Uh, make some deals, and draft choices are really their primary capital, and I know Lou Lamorello doesn't want to give up too many of them, so that really becomes part of the issue uh, as far as making that trade. You, you probably have to trade a player on your roster in order to get that missing piece that you're hoping for, and look, that's why general managers get paid the big bucks. Because at the end of the day, this isn't easy. And it's a balancing act. Somehow that third line center slash reliable offensive contributor is what they need. Tyler Toffoli's name comes up a lot uh, when people are talking about possible additions. He is one player that people are talking about. The thing I like about Toffoli, other than his size, he has experience. In in extended playoff action, has that Stanley Cup ring, 
has been there, done that when it comes to pressure playoff hockey and would probably be a good addition to the locker room in addition to whatever, you know, talent he could bring to solidify that third line for the New York Islanders. So I like that possibility. And again, as a rental player, what will he cost you? That is the question. Another player who would be a welcomed addition right now, Jean-Gabriel Pajot of the Ottawa Senators in 46 games, 19 goals, 31 points, a plus 13, good in the face-off circle, does both penalty kill and power play right now, leading Ottawa with four game-winning goals, versatile up front, again, a player who would be a solid addition you wouldn't necessarily have to break the bank for. These are some of the names being bandied about, but realistically, it'll all depend on what the New York Islanders do between now and February 24th. Realistically, the first three weeks of February is going to determine whether or not this team goes all in as buyers, stays put, or sells. My Hunch, based on what I know about Lou Lamorello, he's going to make some additions, but they're not going to be headline grabbing on a national level, bowl you over, oh my God, this is amazing kind of trades. It'll be a second or third line player who will be a role player who will fit in and he won't give up too much to get him. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing when you look at where this team is at now. This is not the 1980 New York Islanders. This is a team that, if things break right and the right reinforcements come in, can play with anybody in this division or in this conference or in this league. But there are still, as of right now, I would say five or six teams that are just considered better than the New York Islanders heading into the playoffs. Washington, Boston, possibly Pittsburgh, Tampa Bay, uh, those teams all, I think, you know, in the Eastern Conference would be ranked ahead of the Islanders right now. Out West, St. Louis, Colorado, certainly, and then you have a bunch of teams that are right around the Islanders League as of this moment. But the lack of goal scoring really is hurting this team. And their sloppy play in their own zone lately has been hurting this team. Both of these things have to be rectified. To me, the sloppy play in their own zone can more or less be fixed internally. Adding a defenseman and a forward or two, however, is something they're going to have to bring somebody in. Ideally, you bring somebody up, you bring somebody in up front, and you bring in one more defenseman to steady the ship there and take some of the pressure off Noah Dobson and let him come along a little bit more slowly and gradually. But we have to see how this all breaks down in the next few weeks and what Lou Lamorello is going to do. All right, we're going to step aside. When we come back, we will have a little discussion about the Islanders arena situation, plus this date in Islanders history. More to come on the Locked On Islanders podcast. So some people ask, you know, about the Islanders arena situation, the fact that they play some of their home games at Nassau Coliseum, 
some at the Barclays Center. And it is a little bit of a disadvantage because, look, athletes, hockey players are creatures of habit. And realistically, when you have two different home arenas, you have two different routines. The Islanders practice facility is right across the street from the Nassau Coliseum. Uh, So certainly, you know, that makes it easier for the players to get to the Coliseum than it is to get to Barclays Center. Big deal? No, but the routine is different. The fans, the atmosphere, different in both places. Um, It's obviously noisier at the Coliseum overall. Uh, It's more of a made-for-hockey kind of arena. The ice is better at the Coliseum. But at the end of the day, this team topped 100 points last year. They're in the thick of the playoff hunt this year. It doesn't seem to me like the fact that they temporarily have two home arenas is a major problem for this franchise. It's an inconvenience for the fans at times. It's probably an inconvenience for the players at times. And again, hockey players and athletes like to have that pregame routine where you mentally and physically prepare the same way before every game. When you got two different arenas, you can't quite do that. But after, you know, when you're playing, let's say, 20 times in each arena, give or take, you get into a routine for each place, and and I think it kind of works itself out when all is said and done. So, to me, you know, if the Islanders would have had big-time problems at home last year, you might be able to say, hey, you know, this is an issue. But last year, over 100 points. This year, right now, 15-7-3 at home. 14-8-2 on the road doesn't seem to me that, you know, they're hurting terribly having the two home arenas. Although, you know, the thing is, you would expect the home record to be better than the road record. And, you know, it's not substantially that way. Look at Boston, 17-2-9 at home, 12-8-3 on the road. Pittsburgh, 18-5-3 at home, 13-9-2 on the road. So, you know, some of the better teams have big splits where the Islanders are more or less consistent, both at home and on the road. And I think part of the reason for that is the Barry Trotz defense first style that sort of helps keep things on a more even keel. All right, time for this date in Islanders history. We take you back to January the 28th, 1998, Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum, Islanders, and Philadelphia Flyers in a, back then, a Patrick Division matchup, and the Islanders get on the board quickly. Ziggy Palfi scores just a minute, 10 seconds into the game, his 24th of the year from Tom Chorsky and Brian Smolinski, and the Islanders had the one to nothing lead. Midway through the period, though, the Flyers even things up. Eric Lindros, his 24th from Rod Brindamore and Yane Ninema, that time of the goal, 10-19, and suddenly the game is all even at one. Brent Myers goes into the penalty box for elbowing at 14-42, and the Islanders cash in on the power play. It's Palfi, his second of the game, 
25th of the season from Robert Reichel and Brian McCabe at 15:57, and after the first period, it was two to one in favor of the Islanders. In the second, the Islanders add to their lead. Kenny Janssen, his 10th from Smolinski and Palfi at 7:10, and then another power play opportunity when Lindros heads off for roughing at 14:44, and Palfi cashes in completing the hat trick, an unassisted goal on the power play at 15-12, and it's 4-1 Islanders at the second intermission. In the third, the Islanders pour it on. Tom Chorsky, his eighth, from Berard and Smolinski, and it's 5-1 Islanders, and then another power play opportunity for the Islanders after a very, very rough third period. Uh, Travis Green cashes in on the power play, his 14th from Brian Berard and Sergei Nemchinov, and that made it 6-1. to one. Here are the list of crazy goings-on in that third period. Brant Myers and Rich Pilon get involved in a, an incident. Pilon gets two for roughing. Myers gets, believe, get this straight. Two for a five for cross-checking, a 10-minute misconduct, and a game misconduct. John LeClaire gets two minutes for slashing in what was uh, clearly a difficult situation. Then at 17:29, Rich Pilon five for fighting. Dan Cordick of the Flyers two for instigating, 10-minute misconduct, five for fighting. And then in the final minute of the game, Eric Lindros five for fighting. Paul Cruz of the Islanders two for roughing. Jason Strudwick of the Islanders, five for fighting and a 10-minute misconduct. Chris Theron of the Flyers, five for fighting and a 10-minute misconduct. Steve Webb and Brian McCabe, five each for fighting. And and then Danius Zubris, uh, five for fighting. McCabe and Zubris dropping the gloves after the final whistle. So the Flyers coming out and and, and having a, a rough outing with the Islanders. Ron Hextall started, gave up two goals in the first period, and then exited. Garth Snow took the loss for Philadelphia. Tommy Sallow in goal for the Islanders. He made 22 saves in order to earn the victory. For the Islanders, Palfi leads the way with the hat trick plus an assist. Tom Chorsky, a goal and an assist. Brian Barard, two helpers. And Brian Smolinski with three assists in this game to lead the way. Chorsky was a plus three, as were Palfi and Smolinski. And shots on goal, Ziggy Palfi had seven of them in this contest to pace the Islanders on this date in Islanders history, January 28th, 1998. Islanders beating the Philadelphia Flyers by a score of six to one. Again, I hope you're enjoying the Locked On Islanders podcast. If you are, please give us a five-star rating and leave us a review. It helps grow the podcast and helps other Islander and hockey fans find uh, our little show, and and that's always appreciated. I want to thank everybody for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with more Islanders news, plus our weekly farm report and a whole lot more. I'm Gil Martin, your host. Thanks for joining us for the Locked On Islanders podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.